So we're going to talk about today the theology of suffering. You're like, whoa, Mr. Akins, that's a heavy topic. I, if I refer to myself to Mr. Akins, I'm sorry, I'm a school teacher and it's just habit. Uh, Chris, there we go. Um, so I like to sometimes, uh, when I do a class setting, I know Joel's a lot more, um, he teaches and then you sit and listen, but um, I like, I'm used to more an interactive format, so if I ask questions, feel free to answer questions and ask questions of your own. Uh, since this is a, um, this is going to be more of a topical uh, study, but we're going to be looking at quite a bit of scriptures and seeing this uh, throughout scripture. All right. So, if you think about suffering, what is suffering? Like when you think of suffering, what do you think of? Pain. What'd you say? Pain. Pain. Okay. Like like what? If you're talking about people suffering, what would you what would what would be some examples of that? Torture. Okay, torture. It's <laughs> an extreme example. Poverty, sickness. Okay, yes, grief over a lost loved one. Uh maybe worry over money and finances or a job. Uh could be you you know, you literally have physical pain or maybe you have emotional pain. And so when we think about suffering, a lot of times, you know, I was listening to Mr. Ray and he was talking about theodicy. Can I say that word? What was the word? Theodicy. Theodicy. But, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book on the problem of pain um, where the reason he wrote the book um, is because people ask the question, why is there suffering in the world? They're like, well, we look at all the, the, the wars and the poverty and the, and the people dying in hurricanes and natural disasters and, and persecution. And so they ask the question, why is there suffering in the world? But if we were honest about the matter, we don't really, most of us, care so much about that. We really want to know is, why am I suffering? Or why is my loved one suffering? Why is this happening to us? Or why is this happening to me? And so that's what, that's what I want to look at today. So to answer this question, we need to look at the underlying causes of suffering. So um, when we think about the underlying causes of suffering, most suffering in the world is just a byproduct of living under God's curse of sin. Everybody flip over to Genesis chapter 3. All right, so if we look over at Genesis chapter 3, for those of you that just came in, we're talking about suffering. And the question is, why do we suffer? Why, why, why is there suffering in the world? Why do we suffer? So to give an answer to that, we need to start all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. And this is a story that hopefully all of you are familiar with. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the account of the serpent uh, obviously tempted Adam and Eve. And they, he tempted Eve first, and, and she saw that the, in verse 6 that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. And she took from, the tr- uh, from its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And then verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they, soaked fig, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Okay? Um, but unfortunately for them, this was... Uh, sinful. Uh, Verse 11, it says, and this is God saying to them, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So they had sinned against the Lord. They had done what he had asked them not to do or told them not to do. And so uh, 
the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, actually, first in verse 12, he said the man, uh, to the man, he said, um, have you done this? And he said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave from the tree and I ate. So immediately the first, you know, evidence of blame shifting in the Bible, um, he blames it on the woman. And then he talks to the woman and the woman says, what is he says, what is this you have done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me, so she deflected. And so then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will grow for you, and you will eat the plant of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So here we have the, the curse of sin. All right. So if we're just looking at those things, what are some of the, um, what are some of the things that you see immediately right there as a result of the curse? So Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world, and immediately God cursed them. All right. What did He say would happen? Okay. Aside from what He said to the serpent, what did He say to the woman? Pain and childbirth, okay? What else? Say that again? Yeah, an increase of pain. Yeah, he, will, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain, pain in childbirth. Okay, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Okay? And so that right there is, again, often a source of... of uh, conflict in the world, you know, is, is um, there's this power struggle there going on between um, husbands and wives that, that is a result of the curse. Okay, then he said, what did he say to Adam? Your work's going to be a lot harder. Yeah, your work's going to be a lot ha- harder. What, what's going to oppose him? The ground itself. You know, cursed is the ground because of you. You know, it was... You know, he was living in the Garden of Eden, which was this perfect paradise. There was food for everything he could possibly imagine. He could just go pick it off a tree or pluck it from a plant and eat it. But now he's saying, the ground's cursed because of you. In toil, you will eat of it. Okay? So there's uh, one of the things that already is going to result in suffering. Uh, we, we see that for the woman, she'll have ch- pain in childbirth. And or much more pain in childbirth than she would have had. And for the man, now he's going to have to work harder. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound, doesn't sound that bad, right? Uh, in verse 18, it goes on. What he, he elaborates some more for the suffering. What does he say? Yeah, thorns and thistles. Okay, I don't know if you've ever uh, worked much in your yard or whatever, but I have this patch on my yard that I have to be like, I like kind of have to almost fall off my mower as I go around because blackberry bushes have grown up in the in the yellow bells that I have there, and 
I'm constantly having to go through and trim those do- down, but every time I do, I come back bloody, all right? And if I go by on my mower, they, like, shred me. And those aren't even the worst kinds of thorns. You know, I've been working in the fields and before where it's just like these things are this long, you know. Uh, in the Middle East, they have these acacia bushes that have giant thorns, and so he'd have to clear that. And if you've ever been around thistles, you know what I'm talking about. My, my parents' uh, yard when I was growing up was covered in thistles. You could not go through there barefoot at all. I mean, it was, it was terrible because you would end up bleeding feet. So thorns and thistles will grow, and you'll eat the plants of the field. So he's going to have to now plant his food, clear out those thorns and thistles. You know, the ground is cursed, so he's going to have to work hard to get it. He's going to have to sweat. He's going to have to do all of those things. But in verse 19, it's the real kicker. What, what was the result ultimately of the curse? Death. Death. He told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of that forbidden fruit, you're going to die. Okay? And they didn't believe him. And so, but he's telling him here, you know, now, because of your sin, you're going to die. And unfortunately, if you read over in Genesis 5, I mean, uh, uh, Romans 5, that results in all of us are going to die. So there we have, uh, ultimately, the cause of almost all the suffering in the world is simply a result of the curse of sin. You know, God judged this world, and uh, because he judged this world, we're all going to die. We all have to work hard. There's pain where there wasn't as much pain before. We're all going to die, and that has a sting to it. Look over at Hosea 13, 14. Okay, this is God's judgment talking to Ephraim. But in verse 14, he says, Shall I ransom from ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? He says, O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. There is a sting to death. You know, in first in uh, in First Corinthians, it says that the sting of death is sin. Um now, there's an answer to that sin, and we'll get to that later, but, you know, death has a sting to it. You know, we, uh, many of us are afraid to die, if we're honest with ourselves, um, either because we're afraid, maybe not for ourselves, but we're afraid for our loved ones, and we, we, would, we would worry about what would happen to them if we were taken. Or, um, and then when it comes to the prospect of actually that taking place, we fear it. I mean, you know, we can all say, yes, we're comfortable, ready to go at any time, but the moment that car turns in front of you, what do you do? You break, I mean, and you get afraid because we all at some level are afraid of death, okay? And it has a sting. We're afraid. And it, when death takes other people, it affects us, all right? But let's talk about some of the other things. When we talk about the toil and the pain that we go through with our work, I mean, how many of us can think of you know, work situations that either we've experienced or loved ones have experienced where it's just torture to be in that situation. Maybe you um, work with a boss that's completely unreasonable. Maybe your job itself is just super hard and stressful and it's taking a physical toll on you. Um, All of these things are simply a result of living in a fallen world, all right? 
So our sin could uh, be just living under the curse of, I mean, our suffering could be just the result of living under God's curse on sin. But there's another, uh, if we talk about the broad picture, we could be specifically suffering as a result of our own sin, our personal sin. All right, look over at Galatians chapter 6. One of these days I'm going to learn my lesson and I'm going to have all of these things tagged with this little colorful flags, but probably not. All right, so Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not go weary so then while we have the opportunity let us do good to all people especially to those who are of the household of the faith so there's this principle in the scripture some people even say it would be a law the law of sowing and reaping you know do not be deceived whatever a man sows that will he that he will reap um we can see this illustrated in the life of David, for example. So we're going to look at the life of David for just a little bit. All right, look over at 2 Samuel 2.15. Anybody who studied anything in the Bible should know what I'm going to here. 2 Samuel 2.15. Actually, this is not what I, I don't know what I wrote down. This is not what I meant. All right, hold on just a second. All right, sorry, verse, chapter 11. I don't know where I got the two from. Um, maybe it's from the second Samuel. So second Samuel chapter 11, okay, chapter 11, um, this is uh, the story of where David, uh, in, in verse 11, he was supposed to go off to war, he decided to stay at Jerusalem for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't say why, um, and in verse 2, it says he looked around and he got tempted by a beautiful woman who was bathing, and uh, the rest of the chapter details how he arranged to sleep with her and then uh, kill her husband because he would not cooperate in covering up his sin. Um, so you read about that. And then in verse 12, uh, I mean, sorry, chapter 12, you read about the story about where the prophet Nathan confronts him with his sin. And in verse 11, you see where, uh, well, let's start at verse 7 of chapter 11. Uh, 12. It says, Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? 
You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, having taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. He will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you will surely die. I mean, doesn't that just grieve your heart? I mean, you think about, you know, here David did a sin which many... Many people uh, sin and then they tried to hide it. And then David tried to do the same thing and, and God called him out. And God is telling him, you know, this is going to be the consequence for your sin. Your, your, your household will never not know war. You know, and your wives are going to be, you know, struck down and, and uh, your wives are going to be taken advantage of in broad daylight. Your sons are going to rise up against you. Okay, and then the baby, sorry, the baby that you created is going to die. I mean, can you imagine what David was feeling there? You know, just the weight of his sin. And, you know, that's what we, uh, I don't know if this specific, this psalm is specific to that, but David often felt this. If you look over in Psalm 38. Absolutely. And, you know, God had mercy on David. Yes. You know, he could have struck him right then and there. He could have, you know, said, you've fallen away from me or whatever. He could have taken away his salvation, but he did not. But Psalm 38, I think, gives a, an idea of, of the suffering that David may have gone through. Um, this is written by David. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath, and chasten me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep into me. And your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. And we could just go on. Uh, We could read the rest of that psalm. I'll let you read it on your own. But he is suffering as a result of his sin. He is weighed down by the burden of his sin. So sin, you know, we should run from it. Sin has consequences. You know, the Bible is very clear. You reap what you sow. Now praise the Lord that God in his mercy, uh, often, I mean, he doesn't, give believers what we deserve. What we deserve is death and hell. What David deserved was death and hell immediately. Um, So really, David got better than he deserved. But we don't always feel that. We feel the weight. We feel the pain. 
Um, maybe we made uh, some foolish decisions and we've made some sinful choices and we've done these things and they have brought consequences into our life which have brought about suffering, you know, uh, from the kid, you know, if you think all the way back to elementary school or, or high school or whatever, maybe it's the kid who, well, they didn't study for their test and then they failed their test and then they get grounded or whatever or they fail the class and they have to retake it and that's, you know, suffering all the way to um, maybe you are um, unfaithful in your words and you say some harsh words to somebody and it ends a friendship or it causes a strife that never goes away for the rest of your life. That person's bitter against you. Uh, you know, we can, we can go on. You know, all of us, I'm sure, have some things that we could say about in our life that, you know, if I had never done that, life would not be hard now. I mean, I certainly can say that. Um, we, we all live as, uh, you know, as a result of the consequences of sin, and that does bring about suffering, all right? But it could also be that our suffering is brought about by the sins of other people, that other people do things that cause us suffering. I mean, we can, you know, we can, I could do a poll right now. What are some examples of that from just the Bible? Where somebody else sinned and somebody that didn't do anything wrong, you know, according to the world standards, didn't do anything wrong, suffered as a result of it. Uriah. Okay, Uriah. Yeah, in this story, Uriah, bless his heart, was doing what he was supposed to In fact, you know, he was a better man drunk than David was at that point. You know, because he was like, I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. That's not fair to all the men under my command. I need to be out in the field doing my job. And David had him killed for it. Okay, so yeah, Uriah suffered. Um, Bathsheba, that child. Okay, what else? Yeah, Cain and Abel. You know, poor Abel offered a righteous sacrifice and Cain killed him for it. You said Joseph. Joseph, and that's one of the examples I was thinking of. You know, Joseph was trying to be faithful to the Lord and his brothers were so bitter about it that they sold him into slavery. And then he goes off into slavery and he's doing a good job and just because he was good looking, you know, some woman had the hots for him and wants him and he's trying to be faithful to the Lord and he runs from her and he's put in jail for it. Okay, so, you know, he was he was doing the right thing, but he suffered for, you know, other people's sin, you know, other people's lust, other people's envy. All right. Um, I think of Daniel, you know, Daniel suffered because one man's megalomania said, I want everybody to worship me. Um, and his, saw his friends thrown into a lion's den. And another time where he says, I want everybody to bow down, you know, and worship me again. And then he was thrown to the lion's for, or they said, I don't want anybody to pray. Um, and he's thrown into the lion's den for it, you know. So we all experience times um, where we might result, you know, we might suffer as a result of somebody else's sin. You know, maybe you work for somebody that's horrible um, because they, they're so full of pride or they're so full of arrogance or or they're inept, or whatever it is. You know, maybe we have, you know, children or, or spouses who are sinning and running from the Lord and, and doing what is wrong, and we have to deal with the fallout from their sin as God brings about the reaping and the sowing in their life. So in all of these things, when we think about suffering, I want to say this, and I think, you know, some of you may take an affront from this, but hopefully not. When we think about sin, and, and I mean, sorry, we think about suffering, that's what I meant to say. We think about suffering. I want you to understand, though, that all suffering is from the hand of the Lord. 
uh, I wasn't going to share anything, but this week has been a rough week for me. Um, we've lived through some of these things this week. Uh, just, you know, it's like I was telling some people that, that know me personally, I was telling what was going on this week, and then I kind of laughed because I was like, what are you teaching? I was like, I'm teaching about the theology of suffering. And they were like, oh, it's like I prayed for patience. But, but anyway, it's just been a rough week, so if I'm a little tearful, that's why. Um, but this, this theology really is what has gotten me through my adult life, is that all the suffering that we endure and all the suffering that, that we go through, none of that is a surprise to God. In fact, all of that is carefully orchestrated by His hand. And now people who are in the midst of suffering, often we don't want to hear that because we think of suffering as evil and, and suffering can be the result of evil being done. But suffering in itself is not evil. Suffering just, it is. It's, it's just something that is a result of sin because God, because God said if you do this, this is going to happen. And man did this. Sin entered the world. The curse entered the world. God's judgment and holy righteousness had to be true. Otherwise, he would have been a liar. And as a result of that, sin and suffering exist. But he uses even that to do some good things. All right. That's exactly what I, you, you, you beat me to the punch. But I was going to take you over to Romans 8.28. Yeah, he is. Thanks. So flip over to Romans 8, 28. You probably have it memorized. I'll take you to some other scriptures too. But Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it's not just some things, it's all things. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. Now, a non-believer cannot claim this promise. This is to believers. But in, a, in the life of a believer, I just think of it this way. All suffering is God's suffering for you. I mean, not God's suffering for you, but God's... It's a... Um, it's something for you that's going to work for your good. Uh, flip over to James chapter 1. Before we leave that, just I think 10 verses before that, it's a good uh, thought too to think about the suffering of this world is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. Right, and we're going to get there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what did I say? Oh, James chapter 1. And sometimes I think that, I mean, I was just thinking, I was meditating about um, just now with talking about David. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord didn't look at my life and judge my life like he did David's. I mean, I, I'm just so thankful for that. I mean, because I was just reading that, just thinking, Lord, I should have much worse consequences for my sin. You know, just like in David's sin, even though he tried to hide it, God made it public. And I'm just so thankful that the Lord doesn't just to do that in everybody's lives. You know, I'm thankful for that. Um, anyway, so, what was that? James chapter 1. Sorry. 
uh, verse 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we think about, um, if we want to talk about why does God you know, allow this to happen, um, for the believer, for the believer, the the ultimate answer is for your good. All right, and so we're going to talk about some of the things. You know, what should our response be to suffering, or, or you know, and and what does God do with suffering? So I've got a couple of points here that I'm going to go through. Um, if you want to write some things down, but um, first of all, we just have to remember this overarching thing that any suffering that we're going through, God is using that. And causing that to work for your good. All right? So what are some things that God can do through suffering, through the suffering that we're going through? Verse 12. Hmm? Verse 12. Verse 12. Bless, yeah. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, um, yeah, he definitely, ultimately, it will result in... Uh, if you read in, in Romans 8, 2, it talks about our glorification and our, and our being conformed to the image of Christ. And that is God's ultimate goal through suffering. Um, but I'm going to talk about some specific things in your life here on earth that God could be doing. All right? Um, and I do wanted to point out in verse 13, just to make sure that we're very careful to say this. Verse 13 of James chapter 1, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt anybody. By, or God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. All right, so I just want to be very clear on that. You know, God, in a sense, is the author of all suffering in that God is the author of everything because he's God, and this world is God. You know, uh, there's a book talking about the devil, and it says even the devil is God's devil. You know, everything is God, and God, you know, the earth is the Lord, and its fullness thereof. So even the suffering that happens, it only happens as a result of the will of God. But that does not mean that God is the author of evil. Right here it says God cannot be tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. You know, he may bring about the trial. He may bring about this, this, this person who is causing this pain and conflict in your life. But your sinful anger that in response to that is, is from you. Um, and their sinful treatment of you is from them. Okay, that's not from God. God did not cause them to be angry and sin. God may have caused the circumstances where their flesh then decided to be angry, but that's God didn't. God's not the author of sin. I just want to make sure we're saying that. 